Well, good morning, everyone, and once again, um, welcome to St. Thomas's Church. If you are new or uh, visiting us this Sunday, uh, you're jumping right into the middle of a sermon series called Love Your Neighbor. And as I've said numerous times, it's, it's our belief that the whole of the Christian message, the whole of, of what Christ tells us, not only about how God loves us, but how we are to love the world, is summed up in those three words, love your neighbor. And once again, for the past few weeks, we've actually been uh, using this call to love our neighbor as a telescope, to look out into the world, to focus on, on those um, that, uh, that maybe we've missed in this world, those, but, but to focus on the people out there, to bring them closer, that we might love them. Well, this week, I want to do something different. This week, we're going to turn that telescope backwards and make it a microscope. And we're going to look deep into uh, what it means uh, to love your neighbor here at St. Thomas's Church, your actual church brothers and sisters in Christ, and of course, the, the worldwide church as well. And, and our lens for this will be our reading from uh, Galatians, especially this last part here, uh, Paul uh, 5, 13. When he, when he says, for, for you, talking to the uh, church, he says, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we can see, this is a message, not just how we're to love the world, but how we're called to love each other. <laughs> So to really learn, I think, what the scripture wants to uh, teach us about loving our church neighbors, I want to focus on three things that Paul is telling us here. Freedom from the law, freedom the slave master, and freedom to love. So freedom from the law, what does that mean? Freedom the slave master, maybe our definition of freedom is what we thought it was. And then finally, how do we reconcile it? Freedom to love. So, first point, freedom from the law. Well, one of the dangers of jumping right into the middle of a book like this or a passage like this is we can get out of context. So, what's going on here? What's the, what's the context? Well, Paul uh, started, uh, he's, he's uh, writing to a bunch of churches in what's modern-day Turkey, and he started them. And, and it was this weird mixture of, of, of uh of uh, Jews and Gentiles, and he brought them all together into one family, this new church of Christ. And in the Old Testament, every Jewish male, as a sign of God's promise and covenant to them, would be circumcised. It was a sign that they were God's people. Now, kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. That's their job, okay? We're going to let that hang out there, uh, but, uh, but uh, moving swiftly along. So uh, Paul comes, comes along and gets this mixture of people and, and tells them something incredibly radical. He tells them that all that one must do to be part of God's family and to be saved is to trust that this that the life and death and resurrection of this man, Jesus, pulled you, grafted you into God's family and personally saved you and you're made his forever. And once again, the way that you're grafted into this family, pulled into this salvation is not by getting, getting circumcised. It's by trusting. It's by trusting 
that this God would do this for even you and me. And you see, no longer do you have to get circumcised for, for, for this to become real to you. Because the, now the love of Jesus that you have for your heart is now the real mark of the covenant. And, and as a result of this miracle, a miracle's happened. Two ethnic groups that were historic enemies for centuries now become one family. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. Until some well-meaning Jewish Christians came in after Paul and began to uh, tell them, yes, that's right, you should trust in Jesus, but, but, but God's law says you have to be circumcised as well. And, and as a consequence, fear gripped these churches. And they began to ask, well, listen, who's right? If, if trusting Jesus isn't enough, if we have to be circumcised as well, not just to get in, but to stay in God's family, then what else do we have to do? What else in the law must we keep to be and to remain saved? And so the result is the law, the Ten Commandments and, and these other scriptures of our Lord, which was originally given to God to show us how much we needed to, to be saved and to show us the, the bare minimum of what it looks like to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. This beautiful gift now becomes a way that we've turned into earning our place in God's family, earning his love for us. So now as opposed to the, to the law serving us, the law becomes slavery over this church. Because now they're in this constant fear that one little slip up, one little failure puts you out of God's love and puts you out of God's family. Now, multiple examples, but since we're talking about the church, I want to use one kind of small one, but I think it does grab what we're talking about here. At St. Thomas's Church, because of what we do and where we do it and how we're structured, I have never been a part of a community or any organization, certainly any church, that has never relied this deeply on volunteers. And when you join St. Uh, Thomas's Church, one of the, of the things that we ask you is that you volunteer to help out on Sunday mornings in some way, at least once a month. Now, why do we do that? Well, that's designed to be a way that members can now re respond to God's love and express their love for each other and for God. It's a way to live out the fullness of what it means to be in a community with, with each other. It's just a small expression of what it means to be in God's family. But what I've noticed, because we're all really responsible people, right? Like one of the funny things about Mount Pleasant is that, is that you know, we're all, you know, we all like, you know, wash our cars and cut our grass and we're responsible people and we do what we're, we're on the PTO and all these things. So we're really responsible pe people. And what we end up doing is we turn volunteering into a way not that we enjoy our membership in the church, but in a way that we earn our membership in the church. We maintain our place. I've got to uphold my end of the deal. I have to serve. I have to do my part or else I might be pushed out. Now, that's a, as I talked about before, it's going to be a pull of our heart, isn't it? But if we look at it that way, 
There's no joy in that. There's no life in that. There's no freedom in that. We're serving not because we want to, but because we have to. We are serving out of fear. And that's slavery to the law of St. Thomas's volunteering, okay? But that's exactly the kind of thing that Paul is pushing back against in this letter. And what he's telling us and them is the most unbelievable thing that human ears have ever heard. And it's this, your place in God's family is not dependent upon your behavior. God's love for you does not, does not depend upon you keeping the rules and doing the right things. It doesn't depend upon you doing your part. Just be part of God's family. Just be part of God's family. Rest in that. Rest in that. You are free from the slavery from the oppression, from the yoke of having to keep yourself lovable. For on the cross, Jesus Christ made you and me, the greatest sinners of the world, more lovable or as lovable as Jesus Christ himself. Just be part of the family. So that's the first thing. That's the context of this whole conversation. And there's a big part of me that just wants to stop right now because that's that's beautiful. There's a big part of you that would love for me to stop too. Okay, but we're going to keep on walking through because I think that that um, our understanding of freedom needs to be tweaked. As Paul tweaked it, because not only is this freedom beautiful, because I hope right now out there there are some of you that are saying this is unbelievable. Either I'm hearing this for the first time, I have to earn or keep my place in God's love, or maybe you've been in church the whole. Your whole life and finally that penny's dropped, whatever it might be. That was my prayer this, this morning. But then there's other parts of us. I amongst us. I am not leading this. Where there's kind of a joyful confusion, right? And you're saying, wow, this is beautiful. I'm free from this tyranny, from this yoke of earning God's love. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. There's nothing that I can do to impact my place and in his family, with God's love, then does that mean that I can do whatever I want? <laughs> does that mean that I'm free? And now I can live however I want to? Well, in a sense, yes. But in reality, if we've really been touched by what we've just heard, if we've really experienced joy and freedom from the weight of earning our salvation, the answer to what freedom is has to be no. Has to be no. 20th century the theologian John Stott said, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Because there are a million quotes, I didn't want to bore you with them all because I think I'm kind of stating the obvious here, right? If, if you're to pick one mark of our culture, one overriding virtue, one overriding truth that is unassailable is that freedom is the most important thing in our culture. But what does that freedom mean? Well, I think it means this. I think we think it means this in our, in our culture. I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone, right? I can do whatever I want. I'm free. But the problem with that is our scripture really pushes against that. 
And our scripture says something really interesting. Look at, look at verse thir uh, uh, thir 13 here. Free. For Paul preaches the gospel and then he's kind of ready for, for the objection, right? Well, I can do whatever I want to. But for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, what does that mean? One of the most fascinating things that I found in the scripture is this Greek word opportunity, which is a, which is a translated opportunity here, is actually a military term. And it's a term for what takes place when a general sees that his enemy has a weakness. And they're lying in wait. And it's an opportunity, now that that weakness is there, for an offensive to be launched, for a base of operations to be pushed out. It means that now I have an advantage, an advantage point over my enemy. Their, their rear guard is exposed. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that our hearts aren't neutral. Our hearts aren't basically good and we make bad choices. If we just get rid of the evil in our lives and our hearts will be good. What it means is that our hearts are evil. Our hearts are lurking like an enemy ready for the slightest place to come out. Our hearts are turned toward sin. And the result of this, the painful reality of this for us is that our hearts are so turned into ourselves is no matter how hard we try, we will hurt others and we will hurt ourselves. We will hurt others and we will hurt ourselves because you see our freedom, our so-called freedom to do whatever we want isn't freedom. It's just a different kind of slavery, isn't it? It's a slavery to our passions. It's a slavery to our selfishness. And so, of course, the, I think probably one of the best 20th century, 22-minute examples of this is episode three of season four of The Simpsons, Homer the Heretic. Okay? I advise you all to go home and watch it because it is actually an incredibly brilliant illustration of what I'm telling you about right here. Now, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons until I was 18. My, my parents wouldn't let that happen, but I... I watched them, and in this episode, if you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. Homer decides he's no longer going to a church, right? He's going to be free. He's going to be free of the confines of religion and people telling him how he's supposed to live and boring sermons and all these things. And so he decides he's just going to, going to follow his heart. He's going to follow his freedom. And he creates his own religion. And his own religion includes him... Sitting on the couch, eating whatever he wants to eat, drinking whatever he wants to, to uh, drink, and totally ignoring the world around him. And I don't even need to see the Simpsons to see that in my own life. When I uh, first, uh, when the Lord really grabbed hold of me and, and, and he pulled me into a church, I was, you know, I was practicing law, I was a member of St. Michael's Church downtown. Um, and it came time, right? I had to kind of, you know, I was, I was at the place beginning to say that the church was, was beginning to ask things of me, right? And I said, I don't have to do any of that stuff. I'm saved by faith alone. If I volunteer, if I work, that's just me not trusting in God's forgiveness. That's me just trying to take the gospel and shuck it off and throw it away. But in reality, I was using this 
beautiful news of my salvation, my freedom from the slavery of sin, to justify my laziness. I was happy to let others serve me, but I wasn't loving myself in that. And I certainly wasn't loving my brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ by serving them. So how is the Holy Spirit hitting us with this challenge? Let's be honest. We are all guilty of letting our freedom from the yoke of the law be a license to live for ourselves. Let's confess that. I'm the guiltiest amongst you. I guarantee you that. How are we allowing our freedom to be an opportunity for our sinful flesh? So what do we do? What is the way forward? Well, that brings us to point three, what Paul wants us to see here, what Paul wants us to end with. What are we to, to do? But, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one an another. What is Paul saying here? Well, actually, Paul's saying something quite, quite obvious, but incredibly challenging. You see, when Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross, he not only freed us from the yoke of earning our salvation by keeping the law. One of the things he also freed us from was a different kind of slavery, a slavery to sin, a slavery to selfishness. And what Paul is saying here is that when we follow Jesus Christ, when we come to understand the depth of his love for us, we, we begin to think about ourselves less. We begin to be the kind of people who love our brothers and sisters in Christ, not only like ourselves, but more than ourselves. And in the brilliance of, of God's wisdom, he really gives us this, at one level, quite simple thing, isn't it? Love your neighbor, love your brothers and sisters in St. Thomas's as yourself. Well, sure, we're different. I don't think we're different enough where this becomes so subjective it loses its power. When you're sick, how do you want to be loved? By your brothers and sisters in this church. Well, love your sick brothers and sisters in the same way. When you're mourning, Serve them as you would want to, to be served when, when you're mourning. When you're exhausted. When the church and your family and your life and your work and everything has, has, has sucked every ounce of energy out of you. And you're exhausted. You just want to fall back into the arms of people who love you. Look for people in this church who are exhausted. And love them in the way that you would want to be loved. <coughs> When there's financial need, not of the church, of each other, serve them as you would want to be served. When there's loneliness, and I would say that of all the issues that are facing our culture right now, loneliness is one of the biggest ones. I'm not going to go into my whole spiel about technology and loneliness and all that stuff. Just, you, you know it. When you're lonely, how do you want to be served? Look around you in this room and in your life groups and in this church. 
who here might be lonely and go love them. For all the challenge that's in this, there's an incredible encouragement. By God's grace, and I mean this, St. Thomas does this better than any church I've ever been a part of. When my mother died about three and a half years ago, I had the benefit of experiencing you loving me as you loved yourself. And it was so beautiful and uplifting and, and overwhelming and, and supportive. And it made the reality of the gospel ring even more true in my heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's drink from God's love so we can love each other. Let me end with this. Last thing. I've been primarily talking to the church, for that is what Paul is doing here. But I want to end with this. Once again, one of the things I love about this church is almost every Sunday, there are people that come to this church because they're interested in the Christian faith. They have questions. They are wrestling. They've got, uh, they've got doubts. And, and, and we welcome you. And what I want to end with is an invitation. An invitation to seek more deeply God's love by allowing yourself to be loved by Christians. Yes, you may have doubts and questions about the first part of the sermon and sin and grace and forgiveness and law and behavior and all those things. But just give me this simple favor. Let yourself be loved by members of this church. And then see if some of those questions come to you in a clearer light. So, we are free from the slavery of the law over us. But let's not use our freedom as a new slave master. But let's love each other as Christ has loved us and as we want ourselves to be loved. And this is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.